take a seat. Good morning. <clears throat> it's good to be back. I've been out the last few weeks, traveling a little bit, doing all sorts of things. Uh, it's always dangerous to give a preacher a break because then they come back locked and loaded, all right? So we better get ready this morning. If you're new, would you please fill out the Connect card on your seat, or if you just haven't done that, you've been here for a little while, we would love uh, to get you connected uh, so that you can grow in your faith and so you can be a part of what God is doing here. Now, two big things coming up. First, Young Adult Retreat is on the 19th through the 21st. Tuesday night is the last. Hey, woo, yeah. <laughs> Young adults, they all sit over there. Okay. Uh, Tuesday night is the last night to register. It's going to be an amazing time. I'm telling you, life changes at, at retreats. This is legitimate. It's worth your time and your investment. Uh, so Tuesday night's the last night. Um, I'm just promise you, I promise you, I promise you, it's worth giving a couple days to go be with the Lord, refresh, hit the reset button, uh, and listen to God speak to you. And then also this Saturday is our back to school bash. Woo, yes, okay. August 13th, it's from 3 to 5. We are going to bless our community. We're going to give backpacks away. But it's also like a fall festival. And so everything that we're going to do is just going to be fun. We're going to have a lot of fun together. Uh, and it's going to be a great time just to be together, to bless our community, to enjoy our one another's company. And so even if you aren't going back to school and you don't need a backpack, you should still come, okay? That's what I want to make clear, right? So it is a back-to-school bash where we're giving away backpacks. But if you don't go to school, if you don't have kids that are in school, whatever, and you don't need a backpack, you still need to come. Uh, to be able to be a part of what God is doing and to enjoy that together. So uh, one more piece of good news I have <clears throat> is that um, recent talks have opened up about the possibility of purchase for the building. Uh, and so we are talking and uh, negotiating and talking things out uh, with the Methodist denomination. The Lord has given us some favor in that way. And so I just wanted you to know that the Lord has kind of opened some doors. There's lots of work to be done. There's no official decisions that have been made. You will be uh, obviously updated on those things. And so I just want you to know to be praying uh, that the Lord would continue to guide that process. And then uh, as more, more serious decisions come up, uh, we're going to begin to fill that in, uh, have some meetings, pray, whatnot, all right? So, but I want you to, to be updated so far that the Lord has opened the door to a conversation and he's blessed it with favor uh, and we're moving in a good direction, I think. So uh, praise the Lord for that and we'll see how he continues to work. Now, uh, today we begin a series throughout the month of August called Stretched, and the subtitle is How to Move Into Your Calling by Moving Out of Your Comfort Zone. Now, this is the kind of series you get when your pastor goes on a mission trip, all right? This is what happens, all right? So this is exactly what you should expect. I was, I was so uh, inspired uh, as we were there serving the Lord in Tijuana, as we went and saw the Dream Center in L.A., uh, renewed in my vigor and excitement for God to continue to do those kinds of things here. Uh, it was really great. I know y'all saw the video, but to be on site for the City Light Center in Tijuana, it's like a real thing, all right? So I hope you saw that. Like your money, your generosity is creating a real house that's going to help real women come out of real hard issues, uh, hear the gospel, hopefully come to know the Lord and be restored. And all that's going to happen there in Tijuana, partnering with La Roca Ministries. Uh, and this is, this is beautiful work. This is what we came here to do. I, I hope you always remember the whole point, you know, of us continuing to do the things that we're doing is to keep planting these kinds of community-centered churches, centers, ways to bless communities locally and around the world, okay? 
Uh, this one in Tijuana will be hopefully the first of many that we're able to do internationally, and, and the Lord is continuing to open up doors locally. And this is, this is what we're here to do, is continue to spread out and to continue to bless the world uh, with these community-centered type churches where people can get spiritual and physical support as they need it. Uh, so the Lord is using you to do that. I mean, we were right there, standing, walking around it. It was an amazing thing to see what God is doing there. Also to be inspired by La Roca Ministries and anything you could think of. It was like you would go up to the mountains and there was a drug rehab, La Roca Ministries. And you would go into the city and there was a prostitute ministry, La Roca Ministries. You go and there's a church, La Roca Church. Then there's a shelter, La Roca Church. And it's like everywhere you go, on very minimal resources, they are actually bringing light into the darkness. And so... Uh, my heart was very inspired, very thankful uh, for godly people like Carlos and his family who are leading that well. Thankful for us to be a part of it. Uh, and so, anyways, I come back, I come back ready to go. Uh, you better get, better get ready to go. So here's, here's what I want to show you this morning, okay? I have this little thing. Does anybody know what this is? Your parents probably do, right? Um, this is a fidget, okay? So fidgets are, you know, very, very popular these days. So we just buy a bunch of fidgets and throw them at our kids and hopefully it kills a little time. Uh, this is called a pop tube, all right? And uh, this is when, you know, when the Lord really speaks, sometimes he speaks through a pop tube, all right? So just, you need to always be ready for the Lord to do something, all right? You're eating breakfast, the Lord says, okay, you know, here, here's in your Cheerios. He spells it out for you, all right? So uh, you got to be ready, all right? So the Lord was, uh, I was just praying all the time, you know, and sometimes these random things come to mind. Well, anyways, uh, I was looking at this, playing with my kids, and I was even thinking, we were in Mexico and stuff. And I was thinking about how the Lord works. And you know what's profound about these things is obviously they stretch, right? See so y'all, you see, you go... They stretch pretty good, and then they go back in, and then they stretch back out. Now, here's the thing about pop tubes, is that they have to be stretched to see more of what they are. You don't get to see more of the tube until it is stretched, until it is pulled, more doesn't get revealed, and it stays as it is, but it is the stretching that reveals what's really there. Here's what I want us to consider throughout this whole series is that the Lord wants to stretch you. He wants to pull you apart in little ways. And he wants to reveal more of who you are meant to be and more of the calling that he has on your life. But that will not be revealed, who you're meant to be and the calling he has on your life, unless you are stretched. One of the things I remember most about when we started this church is a lady came up to me and she said, Everything this church does, you know, makes me so uncomfortable. I first thought, oh, gosh, that's not, you know, what did we do? I'm sorry, you know. But she came back and she was talking about how everything just forces her to, like, consider how she's really living her life. To consider what the Lord is actually asking of her. It's amazing what happens when you just try to do what the Bible tells you to do. And you do it messy, you don't do it well all the time. But the pressure, in a good sense, that puts on people who are actually Christians to say, man... I actually need to live my life in a different way. And part of the reason why we gather in love and as brothers and sisters is so that we can push one another a little bit. You know, my, if all I did was try to make you feel good about yourself and comfortable in your life, I would not be a very good pastor. And I feel a real sense in which there's a season of stretching where the Lord wants to pull every single one of us to reveal more of what he wants us to be. And to expand our capacity to be able to bless and serve others. It's a stretching season. And the Lord, I am so 100% sure of this because it's the Bible. The Lord is going to continue to press into your life 
And if you are willing and if you are open to the work of God, he's going to bring up areas in your life in which he is calling you to move forward, in which he is calling you to move in faith, in which he is calling you to trust him, in which he is asking you to take a risk, in which he is renewing your confidence and faith in him. These are things going to happen. Where he's asking you to repent of sin, that might be the very thing that's withholding you from fulfilling the calling. Maybe some of you stretched it out for the Lord and then it was really painful, you know, because taking up your cross and following me doesn't feel good all the time. And so you pushed it back in, you know. You thought, that was cool, you know, but no, not anymore. You know, I go back, stretch it, you push it back in. And the Lord is asking you today to trust him to stretch out your life and to reveal more of how God wants to work through you and really what God has made. Because there is more in you and more for your life than you currently know and realize. I want you to take that to the bank. There is more because of God. If you've put your faith in Jesus, he's living in you by the Holy Spirit. There is more in you and a more, more calling on your life than you even know or currently realize. And if you are willing to be stretched, then you will begin to realize, you will begin to see, you will begin to live out who you are really intended to be. And some of you might already be like this, and you're like, man, I feel like I'm doing my very best, all right? That's great. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This isn't like a rah-rah, you have to always do 100 million more things with your life. But it is to say, even when you are stretched, and even when you're giving it all, there's always more. There's always another, another way to trust, another aspect of faith. And so the Lord is calling us into a stretching season this morning. And the message of the sermon this morning is it's time to trust time to trust. So let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 10. Let's go. And we're going to read the first 11 verses together. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, sent them on ahead of him to, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out. You've you got to pay attention to these words, okay? I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. You know, the summary statement of this particular section in scripture is simply this. Go and don't take anything with you except what you carry in your heart. Go and don't take anything with you. It is time to trust. It's time to trust. You know, I hope to do two very specific things this morning. One is to start a spark for those who are currently dormant and not active in what God has called you to do. Whether you're watching online, whether you're here in the seats, 
to start a spark, to begin something new and fresh in your heart, for you to even realize maybe you're here and you're not even a Christian and you don't even know how much God wants to do with your life. And through faith in Jesus to have a renewed purpose for your life. Or you're here and you're a Christian, you've just been like, you know, chilling it out, living comfort, you know, trying to avoid being a bad person. But with no spark to really live for Jesus. I hope to, by the grace of God, start a spark for some of you who are dormant. And I hope for those of you who are sparking and hungry for God to move, I'm here just to take a big old thing of gasoline and just pour it all over the fire that God has already put on your heart and hopefully make it just explode so that it's just unstoppable, okay? These are the two things I hope to accomplish based off the categories of people who might be in the room. Some of you need to start a spark and some of you just need some gas on the fire. And I hope by God's grace we're able to do both of those things this morning. I want to encourage you that there are some amazing things on the other side of trusting God. There are some amazing things on the other side of trusting God. I want you to ask the question, maybe you haven't considered, what could be on the other side of obedience? What could be? What could be on the other side of obedience? What possibilities are there on the other side of these acts of faith? What potential things could happen on the other side of me risking my reputation? What possibilities remain for the kingdom of God to advance on the other side of me really trusting God? What could be on the other side of obedience? I hope today, by the grace of God, to give you an itch that must be scratched. For it to bother you, for you to consider, I really want to receive, I want to know what could be on the other side of obedience. What if the greatest thing that you should fear is not taking the risk that you know you should take? What if we say, well, the greatest fear I have is to fail or to mess up or to not accomplish. If I did this, then blank. But what if the greatest fear you should have is to not try What if the greatest regret you will have when your life comes to a close is that you didn't go for it, that you didn't try, that you didn't have that conversation, that you didn't take that leap of faith, that you didn't believe God for that situation, that you didn't withhold, well, maintain confidence in the midst of this trouble, that you gave up. What if the greatest thing that you will regret are the things that you did not attempt for the Lord? I want you to consider these kinds of things in life. What lives could be changed if you lived with more courage? What lives could be changed if you simply lived with more courage? What supernatural work of God can be manifested in the world on the other side of your obedience? So often we're stuck on this side, the prior to obedience, And we're stuck paralyzed by all the fears as to what could happen to me or what problems might arise or how this might go wrong. As opposed to thinking on the other side, the positives, what could be if I simply took this step of faith. For the believer, those are itches that have to be scratched. I have to try. I have to make a difference. Now, this is the question I want to drive us almost insane. I want this question to bother you legitimately. 
I want this type of possibilities to be something you think about all the time. What could be on the other side of my obedience? Now, in light of that, and in light of the text here today, there are two particular aspects of living a life of faithful obedience and trust in the Lord. So let's see what Jesus says here first. He says in verse 2, the very simple statement many of you who've grown up in church know, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What a statement. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now here's something you must consider. The problem is not a lack of opportunity, but a lack of people who will take responsibility. The problem, please let this land on you as hard as it needs to. The problem is not a lack of opportunity. It is not a lack of people to reach. It is not a lack of things to try. It is not a lack of need to support. It is not a lack of poor people to provide. It is not a lack of lost people who need to hear the gospel. The problem is never, ever, ever a lack of opportunity. But the problem is a lack and a short of people who will take responsibility. The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers, those who care, those who take responsibility, those who enter into the work, those who put the effort in the task, those who say, this is my responsibility, this harvest, these people, this is my responsibility. There's very few of those. The opportunities are endless. But the obedience seems to be limited. The problem is not a lack of opportunity. The problem is a lack of those who will take responsibility. The harvest is plentiful in your neighborhood, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful at Monticello, but the neighborers are few. The harvest is plentiful at Grand Mode Elementary, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful in Tijuana, Mexico, but the laborers are few. It is never a lack of opportunity. Never. Never. I want you to never. There is always something to do. It is a lack of those who will take responsibility. And what the Lord is demanding from his people who call themselves followers of Jesus is that they would rise up and take personal responsibility for the harvest. Personal responsibility. That there would be no, well, someone else, or blames this and that, or I just couldn't, there would be none of that. And it would be a personal responsibility for the harvest. The harvest is not like a job market, okay? So many applicants, but only a few jobs. That's how we think about it sometimes. There are so many applicants, only, only a few jobs. No, no, it's the other way around. There are so many jobs and only a few applicants. There's a work, there's a labor shortage, you know, as we've even seen in, in the businesses around. There's a labor shortage. There's a lot of opportunity, but very few people who will take responsibility, who will own it, who will be bothered by it. Who will be burdened by it? The question that we must answer is, does the opportunity in front of us excite us? Does it give us energy? Does it burden us? 
Does it challenge us? Does it make us concerned? Does it give us anxiety about people? Does it do anything to our heart? Does it drive any of our decisions? Does it change anything about my lifestyle? Or is the harvest that is before me not affecting my daily decisions at all? This is what the Lord is pressing into. Does it burden you? People who die and go to hell, does it bother you at all? Do you think about it? Do you pray for it? People that don't have the food that they need to survive. People that are in broken families around us. Orphans, foster care, all these different things. Do these needs and brokenness around you, does it bother you? Does it challenge you? Does it do anything in your heart? Does it make you think about things? Does it force you to consider the way you're living your life? Does it make you want to be more generous? Or does it do nothing to your heart? This is where the Lord is calling us to stretch and to take personal responsibility for the harvest, especially locally, especially where you spend most of your time, but also to the extent that we can, the harvest that is available all across the world. The opportunities are endless, but the obedience is limited. It is not an opportunity problem, but a lack of those who will take responsibility. I, I think of a couple of things. Uh, I, uh, Pastor Luis mentioned this a little bit last week. I was so amazed when we went. It's called The Dump in Mexico. Um, I think when Pastor Luis said it, it made me think of, like, the trash can outside, you know. Uh, and was, I thought it needed a little bit more uh, explanation. So it's, uh, the dump was, a, there's like a wasteland, and there's maybe 100 or 200 people who live nearby and who go into the trash dump and who mine like copper and stuff out. They come back and they melt it and then they try to sell it. But the only reason they do that is to feed their addiction. So they make about $25 or so in a day and they'll get about five different hits. They'll pay $5, go get it, come back. So they all live in this wasteland to feed their addiction. And then children are raised in this place, uh, in this horror of a place. A very, very difficult and sad place. Very awful in every way, spiritually, emotionally, physically, just a tough, 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 tough place, all right? I mean, I had my kids with me, so I'm walking, you know, my three-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, ten-year-old, thirteen-year-old, I'm walking them through this place. They're having trouble being there for ten minutes, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard, it's hot, it's hot, you know, so they're wilting under the heat, it's dirty. Uh, and then when you begin to share the stories and they're seeing the kids, they're very troubled and it's hard for them to be there for ten minutes. There's people who live there uh, day in and day out. Uh, and La Roca, of course, is there, uh, bringing light to the darkness. And there's this pastor, his name is Pastor Julian, who voluntarily chose to live there on purpose for the sake of those 150 addicts. You just got to, I just had to sit there and think about that for a second. He doesn't have to live there. He has other options. Okay. It's a very, 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 very awful place to live. The fruit is very minimal that you can see. They're all addicts, so it's very, very hard to break through. There's some, praise the Lord, the Lord does anything, so there's some. But it's tough, it's tough sledding. There's not a lot of like daily miracles going on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough, it's hard work. It's hot, it's dirty, it's unsafe, it's one of the most dangerous places. It's basically gang run. And this guy says, I... I'm going to take responsibility for the harvest that is here at the dump. And I'm going to live there on purpose 
until the Lord calls me otherwise. When you think of someone, there's not a lack of opportunity. It's 100, 100, 150, 200 addicts there with little kids growing up. It's not a lack of opportunity, but there's very much so a lack of people who would take responsibility for that place. Someone who would rise up and say, yeah, I'll live there. And I'll give my life for these people. And I'll probably see very little results, at least in my earthly time. But this is what the Lord has called me to do. It should put our life and our decisions in perspective. It certainly did for me. And it challenged my way of thinking as to the things I'm willing to do. And what does it really mean to take light into dark places? And taking light into dark places doesn't just mean going to organized outreach events at church once every three months. Okay, that's great. And we do them, and I think they're wonderful. But taking light into dark places really means uprooting yourself in whatever context. The Lord, not, he's probably not telling you to move out of your house right this second, but he might be to somebody, so I'm not going to leave that off the table. But it does mean I'm uprooting myself and I'm, I'm putting my life in an awkward, maybe dangerous, unsafe, unclear, confusing, difficult, tough conversation, situation, location. I'm going to do that because I take personal responsibility for the harvest. It could simply mean I'm going to wake up earlier to go be a part of this thing or I'm going to add whatever it might be. But I want you to take this example of Pastor Julian, of someone who takes responsibility for the harvest and doesn't dismiss any potential outcome or location. And then to begin to think through in your life, what does it look like for me to take personal responsibility for the harvest that is around me. The second example uh, was we went to the Dream Center, which uh, is something we would aspire to one day. You know, it's this huge... A church, kind of, they run it, so it's partnered with the church. Uh, and it's a big hospital that they run. And then they're like, they've been doing it for like 25 years or something. So they got a lot of experience. So we're growing into that. It's a huge hospital that they run 24-7 where they can provide residential care if needed. But this is the truth. Anybody can come there at any time of day and get some kind of support for any type of need. Now imagine how difficult it is to run something 24-7 and to deal with the kind of needs that get brought to you, the kind of complexity in people's life, the kind of care they might need. That sounds near impossible to me. I can only imagine what, it, what would happen if I just told the whole city, city lights open 24-7. You can come anytime and we'll help you with anything you got. We'd all be like, oh, that's too much. You can't do that. You can't do that. Right? Be honest with yourself. That's exactly what we would say. Huh? How are you going to do that? That's too much. I mean, if some crazy people are going to get here at 2 in the morning. Of course they are. Yeah. That's the whole point, you know. And just to let that sit on me for a second. To say, okay, here's a group of people who have gone extreme in a good way to take personal responsibility for the brokenness that is around them in L.A. And they've taken personal responsibility. These are some examples, I think, that have inspired me once again that should drive you. Especially those of you who love Jesus, you really want to make a good difference. Which I'm looking at lots of you, I know so many of you, and I know that's true for you. To say you want to actually do something with your life. Those are two examples that have really uh, stuck with me about ways the Lord's calling us to personal responsibility. And that usually taking personal responsibility is going to look like an extreme behavior to other people. 
And a lot of people, if you try to take personal responsibility, a lot of people in your life will say, oh, that's too much. You know how many people will say, why in the world are you taking your kids to Mexico? They're so little, you know. When I first tried to become a missionary and moved to the DR, I had people tell me not to do that my first year of marriage because I needed to focus on my wife. I thought, what's the order here? What's the order? It's, it's the mission of Jesus and the, everything under that, you know. As a matter of fact, Jesus actually said, if you don't hate everybody around you and compare it to your love for me, then you can't follow me. And as a matter of fact, it was, the, it was going on the mission that was the very thing that blessed my family. It solidified my relationship with my wife. It made it stronger, not weaker. So anyways, there will be people in your life. I, just, I think the Lord, hopefully, is calling something out. And I want you to be ready. There will be people in your life say, that's too much. It's too much. You don't have to do that. It's too much. You don't have to go that far. You don't have to give that much away. You don't have to. What, if, what, what, what could happen if? What might happen to your kids? What? No, 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 no. Okay? I want you to have some confidence in the mission of God. That doing these things often, often, often looks and sounds extreme even to other Christians. But these are the places we must be willing to go to. So, we take responsibility. Now, the first way he says to take responsibility, this is very simple. How do you, okay, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Well, what do we need laborers to do? Pray and go. Great. He simplifies it for us. Okay, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I love this because this is completely backwards from the way we think, which is why we try to pray so much here to put it in front of us. Our first thing would be like, okay, what do I need to do, you know? Send me, I'm ready. Yeah, hey, hey. Some of you are like, yeah, what do I need to do? Show me where to go. I got it. Ha, you know? Here's some money. Do this. So here's my time. Do this. You know? You got a good heart for that. And the disciples probably somewhere like, yeah, send me, send me. And he says, well, the first thing I need you to do is pray. Hold on. And so maybe if the Lord's pulling something in your heart and you say, yay. Well, actually, the first thing you need to do is pray. Before you go anywhere, you need to pray. Before you make any decision, you need to pray. Before you do anything, you need to pray. And the reason for this is the primary responder to every need in the world is first and foremost God. If God isn't the primary responder to the need, then it won't be dealt with as needed. So you can go with all your strength and all your money and all your resources and all your good ideas and da 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 and it won't help nothing if the Lord is not actively involved. So he says, before you go, you must pray. Before you go, you must pray. And pray, look at this, prayer is a work of a laborer. You labor to pray. You don't pray based off your feelings. You don't pray because you enjoy it every time. You don't pray because it's easy. You don't pray because you like it all the time. You pray because it's work and you got to put in the work to see a difference be made. Some of y'all have backed off prayer because it's too hard. You say, well, da, da, da. And I say, that's the point. You got to keep pressing in. Prayer is work. And is it enjoyable sometimes? Of course it is. Is it lovely and the Lord breaks through? Of course he does. And sometimes it's just I'm putting in the work because this is what a laborer in the kingdom of God does. Then yeah, it's that too. What does it look like to be a laborer? It means you pray. It means you pray with earnestness. It means you pray with zeal. It means you pray longer than you want to pray. And you stay longer than you want to stay. And you make more time in your schedule than you think you can manage so you can pray. And you stay up later so you can pray. And you get up earlier so you can pray. 
You're praying as an act of work. It's labor, and God is raising up laborers who will pray. This is why we pray every Thursday night. It's in the schedule. It's unavoidable. We will be here at 6.30 and we will pray. And we have placed that in the schedule of City Light. So it's work. It's something we do, whether we feel like it or not. You think I feel like showing up at 6.30 every Thursday night because I'm a pastor? Of course not. I have kids at home. They need to get put in bed. You know, all these different things. I say, no, no, no. But there's a commitment. There's a commitment to say this is the work of the Christian. The labor we must do is pray. And some of us are so ready, especially you young ones, to do justice in the world that you've forgotten the main work is to pray. And you're so eager to march or do something, which is great, but you've got to pray. We must be a people of prayer. And a laborer is one who prays. Prayer is a work of a laborer. And I think our mindset just is in that way. And if we would get in the mindset to say, prayer is a laborer's work. Prayer takes sweat and energy. Prayer is going to make me tired. Prayer is going to need devoted time. Prayer is going to be hard. And it's going to be difficult. And there will be some breakthroughs. And I will grow. And things will get better over time. But some of you are giving up at the first two minutes because your mindset wasn't ready to say, I have come to work right now and I'm going to pray. This is why three times a year we do 12 hours of prayer. We're just trying everything we can to say we're going to pray, we're going to pray, we're going to pray. And I just can't enforce that enough, especially in a place like our church where the Lord has blessed us with resources and talents and skills and wonderful people who do wonderful things. And all the things the world would say would make some organization successful to say how Lord would never keep us from relying on those things and always going back to that place of devotedness and prayer. And to be committed to the work. I know it's not easy to get here Thursday night, but maybe that's the work God is asking you to do. I know it's not easy to show up to Lighthouse and be consistent, but being committed takes work. I know it's not easy to get up early, but being committed takes work. And if we want to see supernatural results, then we must be committed to the work. You're not saved by your works at all, but the impact of your life is definitely related to the works that you do. The Lord doesn't love you because of how hard you try. But the difference that you will make will be in relation to your commitment. Here's something good for us about prayer. Because we need trust, right? It's time to trust and we need to care. So prayer, write this down, is the place where trust grows with God and compassion grows for others. He said, if you were honest, you'd say, well, I just, I care, but probably not enough. And so instead of just trying, I'm going to care more about the lost, I'm going to care more about the poor. That's not going to work. It might work for two days. But if you consistently pray, then your trust is going to grow with God and your compassion is going to grow for others. And as you cultivate a prayer life, this is so important, please, you become someone that you couldn't do otherwise. And as you force yourself to pray and you stretch, all of a sudden, you become to expand your capacity. And as I forced myself and as I pulled, I let the Lord pull on my schedule and pull on my time and pull on my boredness and pull. As I let the Lord pull and pull and pull, all of a sudden, six months later, I find myself with a more compassionate heart. 
I actually do care more. And it's not related at all to the fact that Nate told me to care on Sunday morning. No, it's not related to that. It's the fact that I've committed myself to pray. And as I pray, I've simply become someone else. But some of you are trying to take different paths to become who God wants you to be, and it's simply not going to work. If you do not pray, you will not become what God is asking you to become. You just won't. It's plain and simple. You won't. If you do not pray, you will not expand. I mean, you just have to pray. I want you to see that. Prayer is wonderful. It is a delight. All those things are true. But I also want you to see that you've got to pray. <laughs> just got to pray to become who God wants you to become. And as you pray, your trust will grow with God. You say, well, I, don't, I have such a hard time trusting God. And you think, well, maybe if Nate yells at me hard enough, you know, <laughs> that's not going to work. If you commit yourself to pray, little by little, day by day, all of a sudden, because your relationship with God is stronger, you're going to trust him more. And it won't even hardly be perceived until all of a sudden you have tons of confidence to do what God is asking you to do. We have to pray. We have to pray. The first responsibility of a laborer is to pray. The next thing he says, and this is where the trust comes in, is go. So you pray and you go. And you can't go if you don't pray. And you can't, you don't have nothing really to pray for if you're not going. You know, so some of you, your prayer life is so short and simple because you're not trying anything. There's no, nothing to pray. There's not a whole lot to pray for. Not a whole lot of lost people you're talking to. Not a whole lot of situations you're encountering. Not a whole lot of brokenness. I pray for a few things. As you encounter more and go more, your list of things to engage with and to pray for and to, and to bring light to is going to grow. So you pray and you go. You go and you pray. You pray and you go. You go and you pray. All these things together. But he says, go, and here's, here's the time to trust, okay. Go, two things. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I don't think anybody needs explanation on what happens to a lamb in the midst of wolves, okay. It's not a pleasant image, all right. We just read through that stuff, we're like, oh, it's cute. No, it's not cute. It's not. It's not. It sounds horrible. I'm sending you out. You're going to get eaten. Okay, great. Yeah, you know. You would be insane unless you trusted God. Let me tell you something. The reason you're so scared of the wolves is because you don't trust God. It's not because the wolves are so bad. The God is too small for you. You've got to trust God to go in the midst of this situation. So he says, I'm going to send you out. And then he says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, <laughs> no nothing, no sandals. I'm like, does this mean they walk barefoot or they just don't carry an extra pair? You know, I wish I knew. It doesn't clarify. And greet no one on the road. And then whatever house you enter, just do what you need to do in that house. It's just go, take nothing with you. Whatever house you show up, just go in there and say this weird thing to them. It's going to be great, guys. I promise. It's going to be great. You don't need money. Your feet are going to get blistered. These people are going to eat you. And you're just going to show up at a random house and say peace to you and see what happens. Oh, yeah, you know, sounds like a great, exciting, adventurous mission. Let's do that, you know. Of course not. And the Lord says the same thing to you. Well, you're going to go in here, you're going to have this really awkward conversation. It's going to be awful. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. You're going to go into work and you're going to represent Jesus in a way that makes you totally an outlier. And they're going to make fun of you. It's going to be awful. Yeah, yeah. You're going to give all this money away. You can never go to Starbucks again. Yeah, 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 you know. You know? But this is what he's saying. You're going to go out, and they're actually going to kill you. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. What motivates a person like that other than 
to build trust in the Lord. So he says, go and take nothing with you. This is what we talk about moving into our calling, the mission of God, by moving out of our comfort zone. You cannot move into your calling at greater levels without moving out of your comfort zone at greater levels. He says, go and take nothing with you. Here's something you need to consider. God will not do more than you can imagine if you do not try something more than you can make happen. God will not do more than you can imagine. We love to quote Ephesians 3, 21. God will do more than you could ever ask or think, which is true. But not if you're just sitting down. <laughs> he doesn't just do it. You're like, oh, great, you know. We're going to commission off Maddie to the Philippines. She's like, God's going to do more in the Philippines than you could ever ask or think. He's like, yeah, you're going to go. And she's like, I'm good, right here. But do it, Lord, you know. That wouldn't work. God will not do more than you can imagine if you do not try something more than you can make happen. Which is as simple as a, a gospel conversation. You can't save a soul, so now you've tried something more than you can make happen. You can't save anybody. God, you see what I'm so now the, the calling is, hey, try something that's more than you can pull off. Try something that is above your pay grade. If you step out in faith, like Peter with the water, you can't walk on water. And he never would have seen God do something like that if he didn't try. And the Lord's calling you to say, you need to try something more than you can make happen. If you want to see God do something more than you can imagine. You're never going to see God break through in these amazing ways. If you're sitting down saying, well, this is comfortable. This is the itch I want to give you to scratch. It's so much more exciting to see God do amazing things than to be comfortable. Even though being comfortable sounds so nice. God will not do more than you can imagine if you do not trust something you make. Okay, one of my favorite verses, and I need to close this up. One of my favorite verses, Hebrews 11, 8. It's about Abraham. The whole chapter is about faith and all these amazing people that God used. And this is what, and you just have to think about this. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. This is, please, when you read the Bible, please stop at places like this. It would be like, wait, what? And just think about it for a second, you know. The Lord's like, I need you to get on 66 West. I need you to sell your house. I need you to pack everything you have into your SUV. I need you to get on 66 West and go. And you say, where, Lord? And he says, I'll show you. Okay, Lord, you know. And you go. And he's like, okay, stop here, you know. This is what happened to Abraham. I need you to pack up all, your, all the things that you have, all the people that are with you, and I need you to go, you know, that way, over there. And Abraham's like, where? He's like, I'll show you later. But you want me to pack everything up. It's not like, it's not like you know, you send the, it's not like we do it as a family. You send dad ahead, he checks things out, he comes back and he reports to the family, okay, this is where we're going to go. You know, there is no sending a delegate ahead. To say, okay, this is what it looks like. Everybody come back and be ready. You need to have this. You need to have spray. It's actually cold over here. You should bring a hoodie. You know, like, all this. no, 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 no. It's just all y'all, just trust me. I need you to just go. And the only thing you know is that I will be with you and I have made you a promise. That wherever you go, you will receive that as your inheritance. And that's all the information they had. He didn't know where he was going. But I want you to see what was on the other side of obedience for Abraham. 
you should consider what it would be like for Abraham if he didn't trust God in that moment. Abraham got to see some amazing things, the fulfillment of a promise, the leaving of an entire legacy, the beginning of a covenant that would eventually bring the Messiah. These are all things that Abraham began. That was what was on the other side of obedience. Now here's something for you to consider, is that the desire for certainty can be an enemy of trust. Your desire for certainty is acting as your enemy because it's keeping you from trusting God. Things you should be certain about, the character of God, the gospel, truth of the Bible, those are very small lists. And from that place, then I go live in a life of uncertainty because I'm certain about who is with me. I'm not certain about how it's gonna go. I'm not certain about what's gonna look like. I'm not certain about how it's gonna affect my life. I'm not certain about even where I'll be next week, but I am certain of the one who will be with me. And let me tell you something. You have been placing so much effort in getting certain about things you don't need to be certain about and placing no effort in getting certain about the things you do need to be certain about. Meaning that you have placed little time growing in the knowledge of God and being certain of his character, but a whole lot of time manipulating the aspects of your life and being certain about the outcome of the things you are participating in. And you have placed all sorts of time and energy on getting certainty in an area of life where you don't need it, and you have not gotten certainty in the area of life where you do need it. And therefore, you come and you try to live these things out, but your level of certainty is always based on circumstances and not on the character of God, because you haven't cultivated a life of trust. And the Lord now today, part of the stretching is for you to go out where you do not know you are going. And for you to try things that you do not know the outcome of. And for you to participate in things that you do not know how it will turn out. To trust God. And to do the thing God has asked you to do. And to be stretched and let your capacity expand. And to let him pull you apart day by day as you walk on this trust. But do not let the desire for certainty be an enemy of trust. At the end of the day... We are simply a group of people who are responding to the good news of the gospel that the first and greatest mission was God sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me so that we could have eternal life by trusting in his name. And from that place, our hearts grow and we love God and we want to live the same kind of life for him. We say all the time, gospel in, gospel out. And if I receive and re believe in the gospel and what Jesus has done, then I will more readily go give it out and take responsibility. And so today, what is God's calling on your life? I want the band to go ahead and come up. I want you just to close your eyes now and to consider what is God's calling on your life? Are there things he is bringing up right now? Are there people he is bringing up, situations he is bringing up? Where is he calling you to move more into your calling and out of your comfort zone? Where is he asking you to trust him? It's time to trust. Take nothing with you. And go to a place you know not. But go with the one that you know. So take the next minute and soak it in and to consider with the Lord. What is it? What is it, Lord? And we'll be talking about this all month. 
might be a progressive revelation from the Lord in your life. But you need to sincerely ask and you need to be quick to obey. And so, Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we ask that you would reveal to us, Lord, how you are stretching us. How we can live and lean into this calling that you've given us, Lord. How we can pursue, Lord, the great work that you have ahead of us. How we can trust you, Lord, and be okay with uncertainty. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a group of people who take personal responsibility for the harvest. Who take personal responsibility for the lost. Who take personal responsibility for the poor and the orphan broken and the marginalized and suffering, who take personal responsibility to disciple. Lord, we thank you that you're doing that here. I pray that you would bring those things up in my heart continually and that you would bring them up in our hearts. And I pray that we would be quick and ready to obey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.